This is the Moral Money Podcast. Hi, this is Jeremy Kalin, and I'm the host of Moral Money, a collective inquiry into how money binds our lives together and how money can strengthen our spiritual connections. In this episode, I'm joined by a dear friend, Trista Maris Castillo. Trista's running for county commissioner in Ramsey County, the second most populous county in the state of Minnesota. Her district includes much of the city of St. Paul, the capital city. As you can see in the photo on our show notes at moralmoneypodcast.com, we recorded the episode in the only quietish spot we could find in her busy campaign office, the back hallway. You can hear some background noise from the building's mechanical system. You can also hear the traffic on busy Rice Street just outside the door a little bit uh, from time to time. If you're interested, you can learn more about Trista's campaign at votetrista.org. That's votetrista.org. One warning. During the second half of the episode, Trista speaks personally about her experience as a survivor of sexual assault. And we talk a good bit about the moment we are in as a country, about what she hopes for from male allies, and how we each think about raising children in this age. So just be forewarned, you'll, uh, you'll be able to hear when that starts, and if it's an issue for you, you can certainly stop the episode right then. Finally, uh, about the podcast overall. I've really loved the emails and the in-person conversations from listeners uh, so far with even just a few episodes out there. I really appreciate it. Please keep sharing your ideas with me at jeremy at moralmoneypodcast.com. Now that we've got some momentum together, we've got listeners seriously across all the United States and from 10 other countries, I ask that you help us grow the Moral Money Podcast audience. Let's share the podcast if you can and share specific episodes with your friends, your family, neighbors, coworkers, everyone you know. Also, please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a review for us there. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Krista, awesome. thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for being here at our campaign headquarters in the middle of the action with all this stuff going on uh, here on Rice Street in St. Paul. So, welcome. Thanks. And we're uh, in the tucked away, as uh, campaign offices are, in a yes. little uh, side hallway uh, with bare cinder blocks. And That's right. probably take a picture for our show notes at some point yes. here uh, while folks are out uh, planning, talking to yes. voters. Um, I think I saw some uh, organizers going out to door knock. I Correct. think they're volunteers, yeah. right? Yeah, volunteers, um, organizers, phone bankers. This is the hub of activity for our district. So uh, introduce yourself. What uh, what office are you running for? How What's campaign life? How are you spending your days? Yeah, so I'm Trista Mendes Castillo. I'm running for Ramsey County Commissioner of District 3, which is really mostly the heart of St. Paul um, and also includes the city of Falcon Heights. So it is an area that covers the most, um, obviously the most impoverished and most diverse area of St. Paul in Ramsey County, the smallest county in the state of Minnesota, um, which includes the parts of the east side, Payne Phelan neighborhood, Frogtown, the north end, uh, Como, Hamlin Midway, and then Falcon Heights. And uh, why this office? You know, this is really intentional. So our office is in a building that was built more than a decade ago um, with some public funding and um, it is a lot of Section 8 housing. There are apartments, low-income apartments above us. But the space that we are in has never, ever been occupied or utilized. Mm -hmm. It's set empty for a decade. And 
this is where people feel the most disenfranchised. It's the lowest voter turnout area of the state of Minnesota, and people have just given up hope. And I said, this is where I need to be, right here in the middle of it. There's um, oftentimes there's a history of crime, there's a history of violence in this neighborhood, there's really a history of disinvestment, and I wanted to be in the middle of it. I wanted to not just um, talk about my values, but to live them. And so here we are in this space. We have filled this space, we have engaged the community, we have people excited. We have people walking in off the street every day saying, I want to know who you are, what this is all about, and then they vote, which That's is great. pretty fantastic. And I think I just heard, uh, as we're getting set up here, you were uh, talking to a voter who uh, yes. you were saying you leave your personal cell phone, I as do. I did as a candidate yeah. myself for the legislature a decade ago. Um, and uh, she's an immigrant first-time voter, is that what I heard? Yes, absolutely. She just called me back. So I was over in a public housing apartment complex earlier today, door knocking, and I always leave my personal number to let them know that I was there. And they often call. And so she called back. She had gotten my note. She wanted to know more about me. She said she was so excited to vote. She just got her official letter saying she's eligible to vote. She just became a citizen in April. And so she was uh, registered and ready to go to vote in November. Awesome. Yeah. It's the best part of campaigning, it is isn't it? It is the best part yeah. of campaigning. Absolutely. I think regardless of party, regardless of ideology, just Absolutely. people being engaged for the first time. This, I'll never forget uh, in Rush City, there was a woman who I uh, talked to uh, uh, two or three times, and she uh, was still on paper. Is what it, The third time I learned, she was still on paper and hadn't had her voting rights restored yet. Mm. And, uh, um, and she was weeping as we would talk and say, I really wish I could vote. I really wish I could vote. It wasn't vote for me. It was right. just really wish that I could vote, that wow. I had a voice in this process. Yeah. And, you know, just how much it meant to her. Absolutely. Like, could you come with me to everyone else? Oh, right? right, absolutely. <laughs> right? <laughs> Grab by the you lapel. Know, and, and in this area where I'm, we have a lot of folks that are on paper in our neighborhood, in this building. Um, and, you know, for people listening on paper means they're on probation and yep. they're not eligible to vote because they've had a felony, maybe they're coming out of prison. Um, and so we, that is not uncommon here. Yeah. And they are awesome, often our biggest advocates. So they come in and talk and they're so excited that they go tell all of their family and friends, yes. like, you need to vote for me because I can't. Yes. And so it's really important. And I... What, if someone says they're on papers, you know, or they've had a felony, sometimes they don't understand that they're no longer on papers, and that doesn't mean they can ever vote again, right? right. And so we're educating, we're talking, and, and just to have that conversation, people are often surprised that I'm willing to talk to someone who says they're on paper, right? Right, which right. seems ridiculous, right? Yeah, because your job I is am. to get it's, the votes you want, but yes, at the same time, it's to it's treat people like people. It, dignity and respect is the number one principle, and so um, it. To me, those are the best stories, and to be able to talk to people where they're coming from. The other thing, running for county commissioner, I often say to someone, as a you know, when you're cold calling or door knocking yeah. a total stranger, you're like, how do we start this conversation? And I say, I don't know if you've ever had to use county services, but I have. I've had to navigate county services for the last 17 years to care for my disabled child, and I will tell you that opens the door because nine yes. times out of 10, they're like, oh yeah, me too, or mm -hmm. oh, my son, my daughter, my grandchild, my neighbor. So everybody knows that, and it's like, oh, I'm a real person just yes. like them. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Amy was just sharing with me, one of your volunteers was, uh, was sharing with me uh, her, the story of uh, the lead abatement, the lead yes. uh, experience that she's had from a from a uh, poor housing 
right. situation. Yeah. It's just like staff is great, but I wish I had a county commissioner I could really call on and rely on. Yes. This is personal to me. And Absolutely. Like, yeah. You know, it Absolutely. catches you. It it's does. personal. It is very personal. And yeah. and honestly, it's it's part of the reason I'm running for county commissioner. You know, there's lots of offices, right? Mm-hmm. Seems like everyone is running for something and they're all really important, but county commissioner is is the first and last line of democracy in our government system. It is right here. This is where it happens, where people, everyday citizens, need to connect, need to get services. You know, I always joke that we cover everything in your daily life at the county, except for gun control, gynecology, meaning choice, and garbage. So we don't do the three Gs, right? But we do everything else. And so if you think about that, that's everything that's important to you. And uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with the local politics of St. Paul, garbage is a very big deal to your future constituents right now, Yes, it is. Once it's picked up, then the county manages it. But that pickup thing, you'll have to call your city council. Yes, that's for uh, a future episode (laughs) and a future conversation. Because we literally could spend all hour talking about... (laughs) We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. So I have a couple of questions for you. You're you're kind of speaking to it. But I want to know first, um, before we get to your... uh, experience uh, yeah. as an adult in, yes. uh, in uniform and you're, yes. you've been a servant leader and a public servant in different roles yes. all your adult life. Yes. Um, how are you spending your days today? What's it like to be a candidate yeah. with a family, with a day job? Yeah. Like, like build a picture for folks about what Trista's day is like. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a little crazy. So I work a full-time job. I'm still working 40 hours a week, um, working for Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans. Um, working to build strategic partnerships and outreach around ending homelessness among veterans, so super important and close uh, to my heart as well. Um, I am a mother, I have five children, two of which are still very young uh, in elementary school. Um, I'm a wife, Uh, my husband is training for an Ironman because we are both running a race at the yes. same time. And when's his, his race again? His race is November 3rd. And when's election day? He, November 6th. All right, so yes. totally sane, totally, totally normal. Yes, yeah. Yeah. so, um, and then managing a campaign that requires, you know, almost 20 hours a day mm-hmm. of my time. So, um, it's that a math doesn't add up. I know way, it doesn't. Right? It doesn't, yeah. like, we need longer days. Yes. Um, or I need a clone. Um, yes. But, I, you know, I get up usually about five, six o'clock in the morning, and I start my day um, first by making coffee for my husband and packing his lunch, and then, you know, we we start the day. I start, you know, checking the news, my social media feed, updating whatever needs to happen for the day, um, and then, you know, making getting my kids ready after school. So I get them on the bus every morning. I'm home when they get off the bus, which is great because uh, they're young enough that they need that. But in the day, I'm working for MACV, I'm doing a little campaign work, uh, you know, in between breaks. And then every single night, as soon as the kids get off the bus, they're really great campaign kids. They're joining me here <laughs> uh-huh. at the campaign office. We often have dinner here at the campaign office and doing their homework uh, with volunteers or myself while I'm door knocking or phone banking. So it is every uh, six days a week. I will tell you, I don't work on Sundays of any kind other mm-hmm. than mom and yeah. wife and housekeeping. <laughs> you have to do laundry sometime. Yes. Um, so that's Sundays, but that's my Sabbath. And so I uh, recognize that and we don't do any campaigning. I don't work on Sundays um, in the, you know, outside the homes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. 
What do you think your uh, kids are getting from this experience of being truly a campaign family and being immersed? Yeah, you know, it's a couple things is that um, I'm watching them become very proud of who their mom is, which is really awesome. I'm raising young boys that need to really see the world as, you know, women are leaders, women are in control, we're managing big things. They're also in the midst of this community that is very diverse is really important and they're you know kind of free-flowing a little um but you know just today my uh, eight-year-old rn we've been doing these kind of series of community endorsements on social media where someone gives us a quote we post a picture why they're supporting me and this morning rn said mom i want to do a community endorsement and it was so yeah it was awesome and so he typed it up you know he used my phone and he typed it up and sent it to Ethan, our communications director, and had a few emojis in it, right, because he's eight. Mm -hmm. Um, But he said, I'm supporting my mom for county commissioner because she knows that everyone deserves to have a place to call home, which is from an eight-year-old, from the mouth of babes, who gets it. He sees it. He watches as people are coming and off the street asking about what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And he's excited. His friends are probably sick of hearing his of mom course. is going to be county commissioner. But it's really awesome. And they get it. And they really um, are excited about it. So That's a really powerful lesson and example you're showing to your kids. Absolutely. Right? And to be immersed in the experience completely, not just have this be something remote. Right. Um, I uh, campaigned as a, as a bachelor and then... Uh, yeah. As a, as a newlywed, but without kids. Right. And um, I've seen a lot of my colleagues do it by sort of having a home life yes. and then having a campaign life. And everyone does it differently. Yes, right? There's absolutely. no. My wife went to our first uh, political dinner uh, together, and about two hours in, she says, we don't need to do this again. You, you're trying to, like, babysit me and keep me interested, yes. and I don't find this interesting at all. <laughs> No matter how much attention you pay to me, yes. and you're not doing what you want to do, yeah. so like that's every couple has and family yes. has their own way of doing it. But yeah. um, to have them just be such an integral part of the community, Absolutely. that's an awesome, awesome Absolutely. example you're showing them. Yeah, that's great. That's pretty awesome. So um, you got to fund your campaign. Yeah, they're really expensive. We're talking about mo- moral money. How, like <laughs> yeah. you know, you're showing an example by where you locate your office yes. and how you reach out to folks and leave your personal cell phone and yes. accessibility and invitation to democracy but you also gotta have the resources to make your budget work it's yes. a pretty lean budget yes and pretty people powered but still you got it so yeah how are you asking for money how do you like this podcast is about moral money yes. your faith you can talk yeah. about your faith as much as you want to yeah um so um, a couple things is that, so I'm running for county commissioner, which is really a role to serve the people directly. I know mm-hmm. all different levels of government do that in different ways, but I feel like it's really personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we have, of course, campaign finance limits. The maximum donation to a county commissioner race is $600 which isn't a whole lot of money, um, and campaigns that mm-hmm. I've, you know, I'm a first-time candidate, um, and I had no idea how expensive they were. They're really expensive. Yes. Um, the other thing, talking about moral money, is that I have been really committed to living my values and walking them, not just talking them. So we have been talking a lot about minimum wage, what's a decent salary, yeah. what am I gonna advocate for as a county commissioner? And here in St. Paul, the conversation is about $15 an hour, and so, I have paid all my staff $15 an hour, and I can tell you 
That goes really fast. Yes. It's been a year. A year yesterday we announced, and so it's been Crazy. a year already. We have 26 days to go, um, and I've been paying my staff, mostly young people of color, um, $15 an hour, and mm -hmm. it goes quickly. You know, yeah. an eight-hour day, a 20-hour week, it's gone. Yeah. Um, and so really thinking about how do we create this budget um, that's supporting union, it's supporting um, businesses owned by immigrants and people mm -hmm. of color and walking all of those things in a way um, and then at the same time having to raise the money. And so that means that we have had literally thousands of donors that are giving very small dollar amounts. Mm -hmm. um, the great thing is I'm not bought. I am not a special interest candidate. I can't be. I mean, right. I, I can assure you I'm worth way more than $600, right? And mm -hmm. so it is not something I bought. Special interest isn't rising. But where it's coming from is right here in the community. People giving $5, $15, $20 at a time, mm -hmm. um, working to get endorsements from unions and organizations that then will support financially. and. What I have found is that when you're honest, when you're truthful about how you're spending the money, where it's going, it, um, it becomes easier. Um, I hate asking for money. My, I remember. I was just gonna ask. Yeah, if you're comfortable doing that I hate conversion. It. I hate it. I hate asking for money. I resist fundraising time at all costs. My team sometimes. You're like 99.99% like, of all candidates, by the way. Right. Like, I right. yes, it's yes. terrible. Right. I hate. I would. Let me door knock all yep. day, every day, and talk to voters yep. and not ask for money. Um, but I do have a, a great team that's like, look, if we don't have the resources, we can't do this. Yes. Um, and so they're good at prompting me and poking and pushing. Mm -hmm. um, but the truth is, is most of the money has come in in small donations, literally thousands of donors. And we have set the record here in Ramsey County for raising money. That's great. So we have um, raised nearly $60,000. So remember Same. I said the max limit is $600. Yes, right, right. So if you do that math, that's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. And most people have not maxed out, right? Yes. They're not getting $600 donations. And so it really is people who believe in our our philosophy, mm -hmm. the way that we're operating our campaign, believe in what needs to happen, and it's really been remarkable, quite frankly. Um, and it's gone, right? Like it, yes, it right. is. It's spent right away, and it's spent on organizers. It's spent on you know literature and mailings, and that's super expensive. Uh, we are in a, a building that's not finished. If right. there's right, it's not just cinder block walls, like. There's literally two power outlets in this whole space that we have power strips on, yes. right? I mean, this is like every piece of furniture has been donated and or comes from my own garage, um, right? Where we've kind of hodgepodge yeah. a, a huge office space together where volunteers are coming in in the droves. Um, and so it's, it is truly about grassroots. It's about connecting with people and also being very transparent. We report every dollar that comes in and every dollar that goes out, and we're more than happy to share how it's being spent. So you're going to soon knock on wood. There's so none here. We're in a concrete room. Here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we almost hit that stud wall. Yes, right? yes. Uh, uh, with the exposed drywall. But the... Uh, soon you're going to add a few zeros to the budget you're going to help manage. Yes, I don't, yes. I can't remember what Ramsey County is. It's $730,000. So, I mean, uh, million, sorry, $730 I was gonna say, million. So it's about a thousand X of what you've yes. been dealing with. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, how do you start thinking about, uh, I mean, you've talked certainly about the 
the customer uh, citizen experience yes. in terms of social services and your challenge yeah. there and you're so eloquent um, articulating uh, taking your private experience and making yeah. it universal and right. um, I think it's one reason why you've been such a phenomenal candidate so far and mm -hmm. I think things look thank good you. for you in 26 days thank you um, uh, but how do you start thinking about you know all the different you're gonna have a lot I don't know if you have any experience in dealing yeah. with a budget this size I don't and, I've never done 720 million yeah um, you know I did I wrote three of those checks yeah. that last week myself <laughs> you know. it is it is a lot more zeros than I'm used to certainly in my personal finances yes. <laughs> uh, and um, professionally you know my max budget has been about 15 million mm -hmm. um, I was a commander of a military police company which means that it was about a 15 million dollar all in with equipment and yeah. staffing and soldiers and all of those things. So again, still a fraction of 720. But I believe that the approach is the same. So it might have a few more zeros, but the approach is the same. It is, are we living our values? Mm -hmm. Are we doing what we say that we have set out to do? And are we doing that equitably across our district and across the county as a whole? Um, and you know, there's risk involved, right? Just like right. anything in finances. But it is a, is there a risk that we say this is how we're living our values? We need to invest in this community in particular, that has been disenfranchised, marginalized, and have had no economic development for 20 years. Yeah, that's going to be a risk, and it's going to come with a price tag. But is it something that I am willing to do, both personally, because I'm still a taxpayer, right? Right. I'm living right. in this community. Is it worth it to me? Because I'm not going to make, you know, it, it's right. not going back that's to me. Right. It is about my community. Um, and is it living and walking our values? And so. I think those same principles apply. Um, you know, you mentioned faith. So I come from a Christian background. Um, and I will tell you that it, none of the money is mine, right? Mm -hmm. It is for right. the kingdom. Um, and to me, in, in this factor, that means the people, right? And so how do we manage that money so that it's coming that way? And so taking it from that approach um, and, and using my values of, you know, how do we give to the least of these? How do we take care? If we build and create our system, our society, our communities for the least of these, it works for everybody, right? If we build for those who have privilege and power, it only works for the people with privilege and power. So really thinking about how do we do that differently, and my faith plays a part in that. So your, your energy is just, your, your enthusiasm is, yeah. is uh, so appealing. I mean, yeah. it's, you are who you are. That's yeah. the thing I love about you as a yeah. candidate is Thank that you. it's the same Tristan. That yes. You know, yes. Uh, I think you, uh, you have that cadence and clip of a, of a uh, candidate in the last four weeks and it's, uh, <laughs> bringing me back to being the same way. Um, uh, but also I think uh, it's not all going to be roses and no. sunshine and particularly yeah. in the politics of the Trump administration and yes. the incredible tribalism and polarization. Yeah. Um, part of the antidote is the hope and the energy and the Absolutely. and living the values that you bring. Yeah. Um, but you've obviously given this some thought too about what your role is, both as a candidate and potentially as an elected. Yes. In this age. Yeah. I. One is I. I have always been a courageous leader. It takes courage to lead. It doesn't necessarily mean it's always popular. I remember when I was first taking command uh, as a military police officer in the Army, I had a young specialist who had worked for me in a different role, sent me a note on my change of command with flowers that said, remember ma'am, we need leadership, not likership. 
So it isn't necessarily about being mm. liked, but it is about being a leader. And so that always echoes with me. Of course, I'm human yeah. and I want to be liked, right? I want to have friends and that is really important. But sometimes people don't necessarily like what you stand for, what you value, but at the end of the day, it really is, can I, as a person, as a human being, go with what I believe to be true and valid, that's ethical and moral, mm -hmm. and stand behind it? And to me, that takes courage. It also takes courage to make take some risks, right? To believe in other people, to say, no, this neighborhood, I believe if we invest in it, that we will receive, we'll see that return on investment, and it's important, right? Because the value of people, and so thinking about that, right, as both a candidate, you know, everything seems to be a risk, right? Do we talk about this, do we comment, especially yes. now, right? Yeah. Um, everybody wants you to make a statement about everything happening in the news, and I think, well, how does that, I try to see it from a lens of, how does that impact my community? And does me standing on this or not saying anything impact my community or who I am as a person? And sometimes I have to let things go, right? Even though I certainly have a personal opinion on it, right? right. Is that it doesn't add value to who I am as a candidate or for my community. And thinking about that in public office mm -hmm. as well. And to also be able to say no and know that I'm going to disappoint some people, right. right? I'm not going to agree with everyone, but I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear multiple sides. You know, one great example alone is the um, $15 minimum wage. Yeah. Right, people have come at it from multiple ways. Everyone is very impassioned about yes. it, and kind of thinking about what that means, and and then weighing that against my own personal views and beliefs. And I'll tell you, I've shifted a little, right, over time, and thinking and hearing more of like, what are the unintended consequences? Yeah. How how does this impact someone who may suddenly they have a an increase in wages, but we haven't increased how we do community assistance around right. housing or food right. and now we've inadvertently taken away the only resources exactly because they're above the income threshold now <coughs> exactly 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 and so thinking about how that all applies and so you know it is about taking it all into consideration before we make a, a concrete decision yeah but then when we've made the decision we need to move on it right it is right. also about action and that's where leadership comes in so it's it's not just about a decision or a voice but actually action and so those two things together is how I intend to lead um, and how I've led for the last 20 years. So I think uh, putting a little uh, bookmark in my head for a yeah. year from now for us to sit down together yes. and, and uh, maybe replace some of this component just yes. sort of see how, how, uh, how things have changed. Because, well, a year from now you'll be in the midst of starting the budget process. Yes. You want to uh, finalize it for a few more months. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – I do think um, you – uh, partly because I think you're, you launched your life as a candidate 15 yeah. years later than I did, and so there's yeah. a, a, a lot of wisdom and sort of natural life experience, and we'll talk about uh, a couple of those key yeah. moments for you in a second here. Um, but I think, you, uh, so I think you started at a higher point than I did, um, but this notion of, I remember having to sort of prove myself as an upstart, which you yes. had to as well, yes. especially taking on an incumbent, yes. uh, a long-time incumbent. Um, but you, uh, at some point, I re it happened very late, I think, in my second campaign, and my uh, campaign chair, who uh, was on another episode of the podcast soon, yeah. um, uh, he turned to me a few weeks earlier in the cycle, mid-September, and he just said, all right, you're the next state representative, as long as you act like you're the next state representative, because we're ready for you now. 
Like you're, yeah. you're it's gonna be close, but you're gonna win. Yeah. And so you need to get your head wrapped around that, and you need to act like you are indeed the next state representative. And I started thinking of myself much more in that role of being the community steward. Yes. Having sort of gotten over my hump of ego. Right. To go, all right, now it's the servant leader. Yes. Time and yes. um, it is a much easier job as a candidate to be being the voice of your community rather right. than just being like Tris has got to get elected. Yes. It's like we need somebody who has yes. my, our values together. And, exactly. Um, it's really fun to hear. Yeah. Because we haven't had a chance to sit down. Yes, I can't wait to have this conversation in the year. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, let's shift because you did yeah. talk about your uh, reference to your uh, time in uniform. You yes. actually. Um, you know, I don't know whether to call you soldier or marine or, you know, yes, what's, uh, all of them because uh, yeah. fill us in on, on your service history. Yeah, so I served 16 years total on active duty. Um, I did my first seven and a half years uh, as an enlisted person in the Navy, so I would have been a sailor. Um, I made it to the rank of petty officer second class, which would be E5 equivalent for those who might know military yeah. terminology. Um, and then I got selected for a commissioning program to become an officer. Um, in that program, I decided that if I was gonna be an officer, I should be a Marine Corps officer. So I switched to the Marine Corps. I spent uh, four years with the Marine Corps and then again transitioned into the Army National Guard as a full-time employed officer in the Army National Guard. So 16 years total, three different branches. You can call me sailor, marine, soldier, they all apply. Yeah. And you, uh, you were an MP. Yes, uh, so I, so that's t technically I wasn't an MP. Okay. I commanded the military police company, okay. but I was never actually certified as a military police officer. I did, I did all the training, I commanded the unit, but I had been originally trained and assigned as an air defense officer. So it's complicated. <laughs> and um, mostly peacetime duty or were you deployed? Yes, I did not deploy overseas. It was, um, well, I wouldn't say peacetime activity. So I was stateside. Mm -hmm. um, you know, after 2001, there's been no peace. Yes. Uh, and that continues today, which a lot of people don't remember. But we are currently engaged in war, um, and we've deployed many more soldiers uh, just here recently, last month, in, from Minnesota as well. Um, and so the first, you know, uh, 10 years or so, nine years was peacetime, um, and then uh, war time after that. But I was stateside. What did it feel to take off the uniform? What was that like? Some 16 days, years, it's like your yeah, whole adult life, it was right? My, it was my whole adult life. And it has been a decade now uh, since I've t officially taken off the uniform. And some days I still feel myself reaching for it. Um, yeah, that's a good question, Jeremy. Uh, it was everything familiar. Mm -hmm. um, all at once, my identity, mm -hmm. my power, my strength, um, and everything I knew, right? It's like taking off your culture, mm -hmm. right? Um, the military is its own culture. We have our own language, our own customs, our own celebrations, um, you know, all of those things mm -hmm. to really, truly think of it as a culture. And so it was really hard. Um, and though civilian life, you know, in the military, we believe, oh, civilians, they have it easy, they're soft. I'm not sure if that's true. I, um, in some ways, I've never worked so hard. Mm -hmm. um, there is not a sense of, like, personal identity. is right. harder to figure right. out. Um, and so it's been a bit of a struggle. 
Um, and at the same time, I'm so glad I'm experiencing this half of my life too. So it's like an abundance of like experiences. It's almost like being over, you know, in a situation of too much sensory right, input, right? right? Yeah. Um, so I'm finishing this uh, two-year uh, leadership experience mm -hmm. through uh, uh, the Jewish community, and yeah. Hope and I are doing it together. Oh, that's fantastic! Um, and this weekend actually is the is the close. And uh, one of the episodes on podcast, I think I will either record or as I give it or re-record the lay sermon that I'm giving tomorrow night. Oh, fantastic. Um, and the current part of the Torah that we're talking about is yeah. is Noah. And then Noah, it's sort of like there are three competing um, creation or beginning stories because Noah is we're going to rewrite everything. Right. And even in, in Breshid, in the first uh, few chapters, actually name like the sixth or seventh generation from Adam is mm -hmm. here are the musicians and here are the craftspeople. Right. Like, I actually had to draw this out, draw the family tree, right. the lineage last night, because yeah. I was like, they die. They're exterminated by God in the flood. So why are we talking about them? Right. So I have a new beginning. Right. Noah's another new beginning. And then you have the story of Abraham, right. of God appearing and saying, go, go out. And you have the beginning of the, the three major Abrahamic right. faiths right there. So um, I was thinking about how to frame this up and how to... Mm -hmm. Like talk about new beginnings and right. make it personal and universal yeah. as much as you can. It's very much like being a candidate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, and uh, went back and reread my application and uh, for the program. And I said, you know, when I got elected to state representative, literally the constitution of our state names how I'm supposed to be a leader yeah. to some extent, right? Yes, absolutely. There's room within there and the right. county charter and the state statute and everything else. Mm -hmm. and there's certainly plenty of room to, to do the other stuff right. too. But my title and my role as a leader were defined, like the yes. uniform. Yes, right? absolutely. And this code of justice, every yeah, every little ethics, bit, procurement, morals, the budget management, all of it, all of it right? Yeah. And you buy in. Yes. But um, then all of a sudden, and even as a CEO for seven years, right. there's some, it was my own gig. I mm -hmm. had more than 75% of the equity in the company, so it was, it was still my own boss, but at the same time, like I was a CEO. Mm -hmm. And I acted a little bit more like I thought CEO should act rather than how I wanted to, right. um, in hindsight. And now it's like, how can I be of service to the world? It's that same amorphous, like yes. you gotta work much harder yeah. to figure out as a civilian. Absolutely. Like what the heck am I doing here? Right, and how, how being, in yeah. this like, sea of civilians how is it that I can lead exactly you know how can I stand out how can I be who I believe I'm called to be mm -hmm. how do I serve how do I you know I mean there's yes. a lot it's it's complicated and it's so yeah. interesting in this time is you're stepping forward mm -hmm. and you stepped forward and you're yes, uh, um, you're leading in a very horizontal flat way but it's yes. still Trista Maras Castillo for Ramsey County yeah. Commissioner right yes. and you will still be commissioner yes. and you'll have all the stuff you have to do and you can give it away as a result yes um, uh, whereas I've really chosen over and over and over to to stay back to make mm -hmm. room for others to lead but yes. also then it Bigs. Okay, so there's leading by making room mm -hmm. and supporting. And, yeah. uh, we've had a few conversations and yeah. encouragement. Of not. Uh, um, uh, I wish I saw you more and more, but yeah. <laughs> the river divides us. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> and my family and yours and everything yes. else. But um, but it's also uh, thinking about how can I be of service to a community mm -hmm. and. Yeah. That I have some answers, and I'm and the podcast right. is one of them yeah. because I don't think we talk about money very well. Right. 
I don't yes. think I think the sort of explicit way you've talked about being transparent and yeah. being engaging. Yes. Um, I do think there's something sacred about money itself on the yes. exchange, the way that that actually like we're touching the same thing if we're using cash. Yes. Um, literally at the same moment yes. and exchanging that for a service or a good and right. and so then we're tied together in doing yeah. so. But thinking more and more and more about how does that translate into a gap filling service? Right. I don't know. I mean, I have to so stay tuned. <laughs> how, do we, how do we value each other? Exactly. And how does money play a part into that? Yeah. It's really important. And, and I also think about how money, you know, when we say we're investing in something, the message that sends, right? So it is in a community like mine that hasn't been invested. Mm -hmm. There are kids outside our door right now hanging out right right and they have given up hope in adults they've given up hope in politics because they've never seen their neighborhood invested in and so how do we change that message when we say you matter so much to us i'm investing in this neighborhood to make sure it's safe for you mm -hmm. i'm investing in housing to make sure you have a place that's safe and dignified so that you can you know, get rest and all of the things yes. you need so you can go to school, right? And so there's a lot of messaging around money. And you're right, we don't always get it right. And yeah. often we get it wrong because it's tainted with greed or it's exactly. tainted with, oh, but if I, if I give you my money, there's not enough for me, right? right. We have this right. scarcity mindset often, um, which always fails us, right? Whenever we wanna hold mm -hmm. on to resources, it fails every time, but when we share, it comes in abundance and I think that's tied to our faith it's a tie to our whether you're Jewish or Muslim or um, you know Christian right it's tied it's all mm -hmm. part of it and so how do we operate in this world together and say this is the system in which we negotiate goods and services yeah, right. um, but what does the message behind that mean and how is it used so it's, it's gonna be a, a real challenge and a fun experience for you to have to start to work with staff and expert yes. experts on prioritizing different investment strategies yes. and having to say no to some and yes, yes. to others and you know yeah. is it a housing first strategy for those who uh, are homeless or right. are transient and um, I would encourage you to look at that yes. and we can certainly talk about yes. uh, yes. precedent examples where it's just so cost-effective to do the stabilization first yes. and then wrap around services yeah. um, but then there are a lot of those who a lot of your constituents who are on the edge, but have housing to some extent. Maybe it's not the best. Maybe it's needs lead abatement, or yes. or uh, it's naturally a, a occurring affordable housing. So right. the county and the city don't really have their fingers in it, but right. we do. Yeah. And just figuring out like what's the it's yeah. gonna be really interesting. Yeah, and, and, and quite frankly, I I know I have twenty six more days of this campaign, mm -hmm. but I can't wait to roll up my sleeves and get into it. Um, you know, as and I put it back on, you know, that personal experience. I yeah. was I was once a single mom and I had two small children, one with special needs, and I needed to find housing. And I think about like how that impact was on us as mm -hmm. a family of three back then, um, and how critical it was for me to find safe housing I could afford. Um, and how that like my children were able to grow. And so I try to think of that as like now, how do we do that for other communities and for the rest of us, right? Mm -hmm. Because every every person deserves a place to call home. And it might look different for us, right? Yeah. It might be an apartment, it might be a townhome, a condo, group housing, whatever it might be, but we we have to get there first. And I'm, I'm with you on the housing first model. Uh, in my work in the last decade around housing yeah. uh, and homes for all, it's clear, if you don't know, um, there's three basic needs we have to have, and that is food, water, shelter, 
right? And if we don't prioritize that, nothing else matters, right? If you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight or if you're going to have food in your belly, you literally cannot think about anything else, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we know people die without water in about three days. So it's just uh, we have to start there, and we have to do it quickly, right? Right. Winter's coming. We saw the first snowflakes today. And so I think about the people on the street Mm -hmm. and kids on the street and people living in their cars and how are we taking care this is the united states of america we should never have another homeless person it is a shame to us that we do amen yeah amen yeah so you've been very generous with your time and i'm tempted to uh be respectful of your time because uh, i know this next question uh will take us uh, a few minutes to sure. always dive in but at the risk of doing so i'm going to do so okay um, one of the moments in your life that has uh, shown me the most of how courageous you are mm-hmm. is when you talked about your sexual assault experience yes. uh, uh, in uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us through what that was like and, yeah. uh, and how you live with it today. It's been a really difficult month for, yeah. it's been difficult few years but certainly this last month has been yeah. really difficult. You know it, it um Yes. Uh, so in um, 1999, while I was in that officer training program I mentioned before, I was sexually assaulted by a fellow sailor, and pregnancy resulted uh, from that assault. Um, I was in a woman in the military in the late 90s, um, reporting. Uh, though they talked about reporting, it never went well for anyone who reported, and we all knew it. And so I didn't report. And I knew, I knew that if I did, uh, I would be punished. And I knew that from experience and by witnessing other women who had reported. Um, I knew that I would lose my opportunity at becoming an officer because it's very quick to say, if you can't defend yourself, how can you defend your country? Or if you can't protect yourself, how can you de- protect your soldiers, sailors, marine airmen? Which is ridiculous, of course, right? Um, and the other part of that is that, you know, I was pregnant. So now I have a baby that was unexpected, unplanned, um, and I needed to deal with that. So it took me 10 years. I needed to leave the military. So I served 10 mm-hmm. more years after that point uh, before I talked about it publicly. And wow. um, it was incredibly hard, right? The f- I remember the first time I talked about it publicly, and I tend to go big or go home. <laughs> And so it was actually a, a, a commercial about reducing stigma to mental health from mm-hmm. the VA, and mm-hmm. so it was recorded and aired, not just on you know on the website that I thought it was going to be, but nationally on cable television for several months. It was in national magazines and newspapers about my story, and mm-hmm. and I realized the moment it was out, like I could never not have that secret yes. again. And it was this sense of vulnerability, this sense of like, everyone knows, how do I take it back and how will people respond? Um, Which I saw happen again this past week, right, Mm -hmm. with the hearings of the Supreme Court and Dr. Ford who came forward. And I, as I listened to her testimony and watched her, I knew exactly how she was feeling in that here I am, this horrible thing has happened to me, which by the way, has taken me a you know a lifetime to even mm-hmm. be able to talk about, mm-hmm. um, and lots of mental health 
therapy, lots of EMDR therapy, mm-hmm. um, and there are still times that it gets me, right? It shuts me down. I don't, I don't door knock alone. I don't go out alone. I am not in crowds by myself, right? I still have some personal safety stuff that I deal with. Um, but but thinking about like that raw emotion and mm-hmm. then to hear it again and and also knowing that it isn't just me that's feeling triggered and traumatized. Yeah. I mean, there are literally millions of American men and women who have experienced the same kind of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And so to hear that on national news, to have it become a political thing and people to not believe and decide whether you can believe, not believe, um, and then the rhetoric that went with it is just really disturbing. And so it has been, um, it's a journey uh, for sure. Um, it's something that will impact my life forever, I'm certain, um, but not just mine, right? That is a, sexual trauma is something that impacts many generations, mm-hmm. right? So my kids are impacted because of my um, assault, yeah. right? As much as we try not to, that kind of trauma mm-hmm. is passed on through generations, um, and it's repeated over and over. And so, yeah, it's been a very difficult week. Um, I'll tell you what I did: is I door knocked. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I'm I'm, outlet, an, I'm, an, yeah. I'm an action person, right? Like, and so many times. In fact, um, on the Saturday after the. Uh, you know, kind of Supreme Court, the Senate vote, right? Uh, we came into the office. There were a hundred women volunteers mm-hmm. in on Saturday, and when I said, "What brought you in?" They, you know, they people were just showing up yes. to volunteer, and they said, "If I stay at home, I'm going to get depressed, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get out of bed." And I knew I had to get up and do something because I'm so mad mm-hmm. and I'm so hurt. And so people are coming out, and I say, "That's it, right?" Like we gotta move, mm-hmm. and we need to we need to not accept this as our answer, yeah. and we have to make change, and it's hard, and it's really hard, and some people aren't ready for it. Yeah. Right. Some people are still wounded, and they can't take that step. But for those of us who can get up, we must mm-hmm. if we're gonna stop it. Thank you for trusting me and trusting the listeners with your story. Yes. It's really powerful to tell it and retell it. Yeah. What are you trying to teach your boys? How do you talk yeah. about it? It's a, I mean, I yeah. think about this a lot about the messages I got from my dad and yes. from his dad, and and what I'm passing along to both Leah and Jonah. Yes, absolutely. The seven-year-olds in my life. What? How do you talk to your kids about? You know, we have to talk age appropriate, absolutely, right? Absolutely, right. Like, yeah. We. And as parents, we decide what is age appropriate around sex in general, mm-hmm. right? It's the sex conversation is uncomfortable. I don't care how old you are when you're talking to your kids yes. about sex. Yes. Um, and it's even more uncomfortable to talk about unwanted sex and sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in our family, we've been pretty open about it. I will tell you, I'm the one who gets more uncomfortable than my husband. He had the, you know, sex talks, and they're like six years old. I'm like, I think it's a little early, right? I mean, I'm Norwegian, yes. so it, it's uncomfortable, right? Yes. Um, but to and me, yeah. Both my wife is an OBGYN, so we talk very clinically yeah, in the very beginning about, you know, yes. it's appropriate uh, <laughs> yeah, terminology, See, that's making me squirm yeah, just sorry. hearing it, and I and I own half of those body parts. Exactly right. Like, right, right. It, and so it is. It's uncomfortable, but I also think it, it it starts at the earliest age about respect, 
right? Mm-hmm. It's about the language we use in society, like terms like you run like a girl, right? right. I mean, it starts, we start conditioning young men especially, yes. but girls too, to accept this like sexism inherently. We condition it, and whether we know it or not, right? We're, I mean, we're not bad people. I have been known to say things that I am like, whoa, what I just said was mm-hmm. wrong, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's our it's part of the culture. It's yeah. the way we've been conditioned. And so working against that is really difficult. Um, and so I try, we try at our house to say, if we hear something that's sexist, that's racist, that are any of the isms, mm-hmm. right? Um, that we call it out. We say, wait, wait, what I just heard you say sounded a lot like this, and I think what you meant to say is, mm-hmm. or is there a different way that we could frame that? And mm-hmm. so, I don't always get it right. right. I don't always get it right, but we keep trying. Um, and we talk about sexual assault. Um, my young boys, they've heard the stories, right? Mm-hmm. They listen to the news, they've seen mom on TV. Yeah. We've talked a little bit. Um, they don't see their brother any different, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't. Right. It's one of the five, yeah. um, and you know they know, but it's it's okay, and we mm-hmm. talk about it. Um, we also talk about how to treat, you know, for them. I only have boys, so right. often I'm conditioning boys exactly. and how they treat girls, right? Yes. But I also say like, and if a girl is mistreating you, she doesn't have the right to do that, mm-hmm. right? Especially young age, there's a lot more punching at yeah, school, right. at, yep. you know. And I'm like, my ten year old said to me one day, you know, I wish girls couldn't hit boys like boys can't hit girls and I said well they can't and he was like what what do you mean they can't he's like at school the girls hit us and I'm like tell them they can't that's right. not okay right we should not be hitting each other and it's not a gender thing we should not hit each other right mm-hmm. boys shouldn't hit boys boys shouldn't hit girls girls shouldn't hit girls right the same thing and so I think it is constantly talking about it calling it out having a discussion and not making it feel dirty mm-hmm. or taboo to have the conversation that's really yeah. uh, helpful. Um, you know, our kids, we haven't had the sex talk. We've right. had the sex parts talk. Right. And the sort of like, you know, feel comfortable being naked around each other and just like not having shame, body shame yeah. in our pieces. And we, um, I work really, really hard uh, to talk about, you know, you say stop, I stop when we're yes. wrestling or tickling. Yeah. Or we have a, Joan and I have a funny game, Got Your Nose. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you got to get a good hold on, oh, the, right. on the other person's nose. You get like, I can't remember if it's a thousand or ten thousand points. Points don't matter. It's like, <laughs> right, you don't like get minus it anyway, it right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to it, yes. but uh, um, it's just a way to both wrestle and right. snuggle at the same time. Um, and so I try to model that. Right. Like, you say stop, I stop. Right. And, um, you know, can I give you a kiss? Right. Nope, not tonight. Yeah. You know, I'm trying yeah. to just. Walk away as yeah. hard as it is, because you're like, "You're my kid. I want to give you a kiss." Right. But, but it wasn't right to a now, point. Right. Or, right? Yeah. And uh, um, but it's you know come time pretty quickly to start talking about consent, and I yeah. think it it is a um, it is a very it's always been a difficult time to be a woman. Yes. And your story um, yes. articulates that, and then some, especially around reporting and stigma right. and everything else. Yeah. I think it's. Um, getting to be as difficult and confusing a time to be a young man absolutely to figure out like how is there magic and romance of like you know you're right. hanging in about to kiss and you're like so can I kiss you is it okay if I slip you some time uh, like, yeah like, right, right? Like, it's awkward like, there's but, never a good time to say that right but how do you do it and how yeah. do you like um, but at the same time uh, you know consent is real yeah. right and sort of replaying those is the difference 
between being clumsy and being exactly aggressive, too aggressive, and it's it's a really confusing time for all of us. Yes. Um, but I think especially raising a boy and a girl myself, yeah. of like how do we talk about this? It's yes. it's tough. It's yeah. Like, I don't have a hard right. answer other than trying to do it yeah. age appropriate and you talk know, about boundaries I, and respect. Yeah. You know, because I have five children, people often will say, Trista, what's your parenting advice? Mm -hmm. And I say, forgive yourself as right. a parent. Because parenting is a series of trial and errors, and we just hope we don't screw it up. Right. There's no textbook, right? There are really, I mean, there's a million books about it, but no, you know, consent. Right. Right. Consent, you know, kid, everyone, right? and every kid, kid is different. Is different. Right. And so I just think if you are loving your kids and talking to your kids and they feel like they can talk to you, you're doing a great job. Yeah. You're doing a great job, right? And we have to give ourselves a little space. And yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, my 10-year-old said to me the other night, now mind you, I tuck them in each night and we sing three songs. Like this is our night routine. Everyone's got their own. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I sing Jesus Loves You, the Bible song, and then I each kid has their own made up song by mom, right? So I'm singing to them, I'm tucking them in with this cute little stuffed animal that no longer has fluffy yeah, right, it's right. old, right? Yes, yes. And then he says to me, Mom, how do I get girls to notice me? So I've just tucked <laughs> exactly, him in right, in his right, cute right, right. footy pajamas <laughs> with his bunny and he wants to know about girls, right? right? And I'm like so I very quickly said, you know what girls really like? Boys who smell good. You should brush your teeth <laughs> and take a shower every day without mom asking, right? Like, so it's this exactly. Yeah. Like, how do we do this, Pivot. right? <laughs> Pivot and uh, how does it work for yes. all of our good, right? So yes. I just think that's the way parenting goes. Yeah. And that goes with everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's it. Now, now I have to add, think I know, about uh, how right? to answer that question. Right? Right? Like, Jonah, actually, we're at that sweet stage at seven where Jonah will literally run out of the room if there's kissing in the Yes. We don't watch much TV anymore. Yes. We were actually screen free for the next uh, few months. And yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, right. Um, but like, like anything that approaches kissing or intimacy, oh. he's like, he's hauling his butt out of there. Oh, it's yeah. hilarious. That is very funny. <laughs> and I'm like, at some point, that's gonna we're going to like reintroduce this and like I want it to be in a healthy way but right I, I, right right then yes. he's going to want to see it by himself right exactly. it'll be that other thing so then exactly. how do we do that too yeah um I uh before we uh, do a couple of closing yes. questions I have one more question on this topic um and I think you've hinted we've talked about it talked around it but um what do you want to see here get from men from yeah. allies what's the what advice do you have for us to be yeah. supportive, productive? Um, I think it's it might seem simple, but believe us, right? I know it's really hard, um, but believe us, is that we're not making it up. We're not trying to get attention. The false reporting is so few and far mm -hmm. between. It's unheard of almost, right? It is not the kind of attention that we want. Know that... Um, you already know a woman who's been sexually assaulted, whether you know it or not. It goes the same for men. It's okay for men to share as well. And know that we're certainly, we need to know that too, and that we're in this together. The other thing is really, um, we need men to call it out in other men, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we really do, because we can, it creates this divide of men and women, and mm -hmm. um, but we need men to call it out. And when they see something that doesn't seem right, mm -hmm. feel right, to not ignore it and call it out in their friends, stop it before it happens, um, and not and to know that like no really means no, 
right? And that there is no entitlement of another person's body. Um, and as allies, you know, you and I have been friends for a long time, and I know I have your support. So you're just be Jeremy Kalen, honestly, in this, right? Because I know that you get it and you feel it from the heart. Um, you know, I've spoken about sexual assault, especially among veterans and mm -hmm. military people for a long time. And every time I speak about it, you know, in the audience, I will see women just nodding. And I know that my story is their story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but what happens is when I'm done speaking, I usually have a line of men who come and tell me um, that they also have experienced sexual mm -hmm. assault. And it's the first time they've been telling someone mm -hmm. because they felt safe telling a woman mm -hmm. who could right. relate. Right. Talk to it among, I, I would love to see men talking to other men about it, mm -hmm. honestly. About their, and I know that's like a huge challenge to mm -hmm. our society, but I think that if we could change the conversation about sex, the conversation about sexual assault and mm -hmm. who we share that with, mm -hmm. I think we could change how our entire society views it and then stop it. A uh, tiny little bit of hopefulness. Yeah. Um, the day of, that uh, Ford and Kavanaugh uh, testified, yes. came back and testified, um, I had a business meeting mm -hmm. and uh, two folks work on energy projects all the time and you know we yeah. have a have a friendship at this point and yes. they're both Jewish so we have some kinship there and, um, and one of them actually I would describe as politics as center right mm -hmm. if not even further right especially on stuff like Israel right and uh, and he just started talking about it he just uh, said you know I, I'm heartbroken and it was the most specific we spent 30 minutes at the end of our meeting yeah. the most specific conversation that I and had me with people who weren't like really right. close friends, just sort of owning behavior that we've let pass. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges that I think we need to work out is sort of a personal truth and reconciliation yes. process for ourselves. I think yes. about when was I clumsy? Yeah. When yeah. when may I have tried to kiss somebody or you know touch their body uh, without very clear consent? Right. Um, and when is it just the general awkwardness of learning your way around right. being romantic yes. together, right? Yes. And, um, or even parties that during high school where I wasn't a drinker, but like people were a little obnoxious and, you know, yeah. what really went on right. in those bathrooms and right. like just not, I think we need to make space for us to yes. really process this ourselves absolutely, and not feel like somebody's going to all of a sudden come out of the closet and say, well, Jeremy, that's rape. Right. Or yes. you just witnessed rape and and you didn't 30 years ago and you didn't do anything about yeah. it. Well, I don't think that's actually right. anything close to what I saw, but I want to take ownership over figuring out how Jonah doesn't live that same existence right. and Leah doesn't live that same existence. Yes. Yes. And I don't know... We have to work on that. I don't have any yeah. halfway through to even I feel a little bit exposed talking about yeah, no, <laughs> uh, on, thank on you record for sharing now. That. But. Um, you know, one, I was at an event oh, about a year and a half ago speaking about totally unrelated topics. It was a, a, an event for wounded warriors and just talking about navigating what is it happens after you take the uniform off, how do you fit into civilian life. And someone asked the question, what's the number one thing you hear from veterans that they're struggling with? I was like, well, the truth is it's sexual assault. It comes up often, right? 
Um, and I had a gentleman in the room raise his hand, and I could see he was shaking, he was red-faced, and I could see his adrenaline, right? And he said, what would you say to someone that told you they went along with a gang rape uh, because they were in the crowd and they were afraid? And it, like, it took my breath away because mm -hmm. I knew in that moment he was confessing to mm -hmm. me, right? And we're in a room full of people and as someone who's been the victim mm -hmm. of that, right? And it, it was this, like, for me, it was that moment of what do I do? Mm -hmm. um, what do I say? And I said to him, I forgive you. And you too are a victim, right? And he, like, broke down in tears, right? And, and, and laughed and... Ultimately, we've gotten him treatment and help, right? And but it was not, uh, and it was a healing moment for me too. I can tell you is that that ownership. Um, sometimes we are ourselves go along with peer pressure and group and mob mentality because we're afraid. We're afraid to step mm -hmm. out, and that takes a tremendous amount of courage to then process that. So mm -hmm. I, I think. You're right, I think us having this conversation, someone listening to this podcast right now, is gonna feel a moment of healing and to think about this and to say, we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven even by the people we have harmed. Um, and we need to collectively say, no more. Mm -hmm. we're, gonna, we're gonna shift this conversation, so, yeah. This is a, quite a time to be living yes. by the time to be a candidate with a yeah. bully pulpit and a yes. vessel of yes. community hopes and dreams. Yes. And God bless you. For, yeah. Literally, God bless you for Thank doing you. it. <laughs> I need it. I need those blessings. I yes. will tell you, you know, it's lovely talking to someone who's an ally and a friend and a supporter and, um, you know, not everyone loves me. You know, there are people yes. that really are mean and I call them the keyboard warriors, right? Especially social media. Yeah. We have lots of fake profiles and we're attacking and you know I've been attacked for coming out on the you know oh she's part of the me too movement right, but she's right. making it up for publicity and I was like well I came out 10 years ago yeah. so that wouldn't and so um and those hurt and they're all personal and I have to shake them off too yeah. so it's a little bit of both and so um yeah we need to keep supporting people uh, overall yeah and I think we need to be talking about stuff that yeah we struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. And because that's the only way we're going to figure out yeah. how to go forward together. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we're we're living in a very traumatized society, right? Yesterday was World Mental Health Day. Right. And I think about that all the time. And, and today's we, coming out day, right? Yeah, right, coming out so, day. Like every know. day is another, right? There's something else. And it's like, let's talk about all this. And in the end, we're talking about it so people can be who they are and I my hope is that everyone experiences personal love and love from others and that we can in the end support each other and just be nice so i don't know why i'm uh being that optimistic one today yeah. but uh, yeah. um i'm generally an optimist as you yes, are, so, you are but yeah. uh, uh i remember i um as a former state rep i get mm -hmm. floor privileges so yes. i get to visit the house floor when uh, uh at the discretion of the speaker when it's almost always just come on in yeah so i had planned um when I was running a company and doing other things, it was really hard to take time off. And it's not like you can show up at the right. Capitol for 30 minutes and get out. Yes, no, not at all. Someone like you and I, it's right. like, you know, the two conversations takes up 30 minutes. Right. Uh, so I learned to schedule, and I happened to schedule my visit the day that the house was taking up marriage equality in, mm. what was that, 2013? Yes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the regular caucus stuff was happening. And so, you know, you know yeah. 
nothing was happening on the floor, and so I was visiting with the staff I used to work with and catching up, and reporters started coming over, and I was like, hi. They <laughs> started interviewing me about the marriage equality bill, and I was yeah. like, I'm just here to see friends and celebrate <laughs> progress, like, <laughs> off the record. Right. And they're like, no, really, you represented a pretty conservative area. Yeah. And what do you think? And I realized, okay, you got to snap together here. Right. And just out of my mouth, I said, you know, the, um, yeah, there are going to be some people who are going to take some courageous votes today that yeah. are going to have to defend them in constituencies that may in majority disagree with how they vote. Right. And I think on both sides of the aisle, both for and against. Yes. Um, but I think the real heroes are those who over the last 18 months have uh, come out to their neighbors and their family and, and may have felt like they were alone. Yeah. And, you know, imagine having that conversation right. to an entire family that you feel pretty confidently is going to reject you and may yeah. kick you out. Right, yeah. And that happened tens of thousands, if not hundreds yes. of thousands of times over the course of two years yes. during the debate. And it's now just marriage equality is the law of the land. We That's still right. have some pretty shocking uh, attempts yes. to roll back here and there, but yes. really the people... I mean, it has shifted in a decade. Yes, it has. To just being love is love. Yeah. And I hope that we get there around sexual assault Agreed. and consent. That yes. it just becomes in a half a generation. Just you got to consent. You got to believe women who t and men who talk about yes. uh, their experiences. And as men, it's okay to own clumsiness or aggression, other things. You have to find ways to make it right, mm -hmm. and we have to find ways to go forward. Yeah, absolutely. And in the end, love wins. I hope so. Yeah, hope me so. too. Me too. <laughs> so you've been extremely generous yeah, with your time thank now. You. Thank it's you. It's so for, fun talking to you. <laughs> thank you for, uh, again, trusting yeah. us with this conversation. It's yeah, really important. Absolutely. Um, so a couple of closing yes. quick questions. Yes. First, uh, how do people find you? What's the easiest way for listeners yes. to connect with you? Yeah, so... Um, obviously any social media so Trista at votetrista.org votetrista.org is our website um, you can see me on Facebook Trista Modest Castillo on Twitter on um, Instagram or you can call me 612-845-7036 just call me text me <laughs> So you want to give you gruff for having a 612 number on this 651 side of the river? I know, but I've had it for 20 years. <laughs> and I, I got it when I came back to Minnesota, you know, after military. So I've it's literally been my number forever. Does anybody, uh, do you hear it from anybody? A little yeah, snickering? No, like, uh, no, I think I, it's pretty common in cell phone world, yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah, I will tell you if you text or call after 9 o'clock at night, I'm not going to answer, but I'll answer in the morning. Um, and I don't answer on Sundays. So. <laughs> I, uh, I'm old-fashioned. I yeah. Other than somebody I know yeah, really well, right. I would not, uh, you know, I might send an email, right. Right? but I certainly wouldn't But I do not, and you don't have expectations that they're going to return your email after oh, God, nine, no. right? Oh, God, no. So don't do that. Like, yeah, have so a life. Chill, everybody. <laughs> um, so yeah. last uh, closing question. Yeah. Trista, what's in your wallet? Oh. Um, so I don't have a wallet. Uh, <laughs> okay, how do you carry money? I do. So I have a card, right? So I use my ATM debit card for everything as most people do I think do you not have cash I do you? not have any cash at Interesting. any time um, in at fact, any time I it's very rare like it, it's an effort to get cash Interesting. Uh, but I do uh, we do use an app 
every dollar app um, on our my husband and I do, uh-huh. and so we budget very carefully. We did the Dave Ramsey School of okay. Finances, so Love we this. are. I do not own a credit card. Um, we don't have you know our more we have a mortgage obviously that's finance uh, a student loan I have a student loan um, but we try to pay cash I mean pay right. full full amount not yes, physically right. cash but we, if we're gonna buy something yes, we have to have all the money yeah. so we don't we try not to finance um, and uh, we live in a budget right so we pay and we budget for everything and we know Still like military. there's Both only well it's actually not we were terrible the military doesn't teach it you doesn't, about right. it um, and so we got ourselves crazy in debt for a while um, mm. the market crashed my husband had lost his job after the military and so we kind of were out of control for a while and so we did the Dave Ramsey uh, financial yeah. freedom and we're living it and so I have a, you know, this is my eating out budget, uh-huh. this is my childcare budget, and if we have to move things from mm-hmm. one budgeted item, we talk about it. Interesting. Um, but I use a, I just use my debit card uh, for things, so if I don't have cash, don't we don't it. spend it, right? right. Um, and so it makes you pay attention a lot more. Yeah. Um, have, I'm trying to imagine doing that, having that discipline through a campaign when yeah. chaos is the name of the game. Yes. Yeah. Right. I um, I will say that I have, well, yeah, don't have time to shop or right. things. So our grocery budget has shrunk and the eating out has grown. Of course, right. right. There's a lot more. But subway. you've done that consciously with yes. the, as part of your values yes. and part of yep. this decision to yep. rather than organically letting it just sort of slip out the back. Yes. And my um, my husband oh, has been fantastic in taking over the day to day financial operations great. of the home, which is great. No and then on the campaign side, I actually never, ever, ever touch any money. So um, if someone wants to make a donation, I'm mm-hmm. not on our campaign checking account. I know what's in yeah, the budget. Right, we right, talk about it every right, week, right, right. Um, but I don't touch any money. So if someone wants to hand me a check or cash for a campaign, I don't touch it. And I point to either a staffer who's with me or my treasurer. So and I'm very you, clear. Yeah, why'd you make that, that choice? Um, I wanted to, one, be very clear that there was no there was no gray lines when it comes to money and that when people are donating, it is directly going to mm-hmm. campaign and getting in touch with voters. So I've been very careful about that. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I never want anyone to think like, hmm, I wonder what, you know, I, you know, they're eating out is the campaign. Right. It's right. my donation buying pizza. It is not like I buy, if we have yes. pizza, either I bought it or a volunteer, but, um, we, yeah, I've been very careful about those things. I never want an, an appearance of, yeah. of something unethical. It'll serve you, that discipline will serve you so well as county commissioner. Yeah. It just gets too easy to, yes. to let things slide. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think when we do sloppy finances, everything gets sloppy. Yes. Right? And so um, we have to be really careful about that, and especially when we're stewards of someone else's money. Mm-hmm. And so that's how, I, that's how I work. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's the, I have to say that there have been a lot of interesting responses already to the yeah. wallet question. Yeah. That might be the most interesting. Oh, yay. <laughs> I, I don't know what price you get Yeah, 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 yeah. I get a thousand points. A thousand <laughs> points. That's right. Although we got to, Jonas got to decide the, the point scale. He's got, uh, oh, okay. he's got stewardship of that. Oh, okay. Got yes, it. yes. Well, Tristan Maras Castillo. Thank you. Dear friend, uh, uh, warrior, hero, 
courageous woman and candidate for county commissioner in Ramsey County, District Three. Three. Yeah. I was like, is it four or three? Three. District Three. Yes. Thanks so much for your time. And Thank you. Good luck in Thank the next you. 26 days. Thank you. We have room to volunteer if you get an itch to door knock. Oh, I'll, I will uh, put in a shift between now and the end for awesome. sure. For Thank sure. You. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, folks, there you have it. Episode four of the Moral Money Podcast. You can learn more about Trista Modest Castillo's campaign at votetrista.org. And shortly after Election Day, we'll update you on the results of Trista's campaign. Also, please share the podcast and rate and review the Moral Money Podcast on iTunes. Have a great and prosperous week. Catch you soon for the next episode of the Moral Money Podcast. Mm-hmm.